0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Friday, June 12th. We begin with our weekly talk with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We'll get his thoughts on Phase 2 of the reopening plan for our province and hear his words as well on the importance of continuing the practice of social distancing.
1: Next, we look at the challenging conversation facing many parents these days explaining the BLM protests, particularly when they become violent to our kids. We'll get some advice from parenting expert Allison Schaefer.
0: Then we head stateside to talk with Jackson Prosko, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. We'll get an update on a very busy week south of the border from the protest movement, the ongoing campaigning ahead of November's federal election, and of course the impact of the continuing coronavirus
1: crisis. June is the rainiest month in Calgary, so we need to make sure our houses are prepared to avoid flooding and costly water damage. Tips from an expert on how to keep your house in ship shape.
0: And finally, we hear the story of our next community champion nominee, a Calgary woman who's using fancy footwork to bring happiness to her neighbours during the pandemic. 7.42 now, and uh, it is time as we're going to check in with the mayor. Stage two of Alberta's reopening starts today. And as of midnight last night, Calgary's state of emergency was ended. So what does this mean moving forward? We're joined by the mayor, Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning, Mr. Mayor good morning hey thanks so much for joining us is this a this a good day for you are you excited or is still a little bit of trepidation moving forward a
2: bit of both um, so today uh, stage two goes forward which means that uh, some personal services businesses like spas are able to open uh, movie theaters uh, and some gyms and rec centers so uh, we're starting to move to more activities being available to people but Uh, It also means that personal responsibility is even more important to avoid a second wave or a resurgence. And this week, we've been bumping around a little bit, but we've seen a bit of an increase in cases. We had a couple of pretty high days this week. So it's just a good reminder for everyone that those three things you have to do are still super important. You know, back to the very beginning, wash your hands, don't touch your face. Uh, Number two, keep your physical distance six feet, two meters, and Andy and a half away. Oh, um, every week. You know, I can't resist it. How about 36 mini donuts, Andy? Not really, oh, no, better. I'm
1: hungry. Yep.
2: Um, and number three is, and this one we're not doing a good job on, number three is if you're going to be somewhere where you can't consistently stay six feet away from others, you should be covering your face. Mm-hmm. You should be wearing a mask uh, covering your mouth and nose.
1: You know, it's interesting because we, we, had, uh, we don't have an ask the mayor segment, which we probably should when we get past <laughs> happy, the
2: happy to do it. Uh-huh. Uh, but,
1: but we do have text coming in, right? So this one here says, please ask the mayor, especially this very important with today and the reopening further. Uh, ask the mayor to clarify social distancing. We have friends who believe you can dine with whoever you wish, and social distancing is over for businesses. And I think this hammers away what you were talking about a second ago. We've got to be diligent.
2: You got to be diligent. And uh, it is true that you are not, it is not mandatory to only go out to eat with your cohort group. Uh, Tables are restricted to six people. um, And you should keep those six feet apart. Outdoors is safer than indoors. So patios are better than going inside for safety reasons. And we are at a point where, yeah, now it is okay to have kind of a backyard barbecue, but it's a different kind of barbecue. People should bring their own food and families should stay at least six feet apart, which sounds weird, but I've actually done that with my sister's family. (laughs) It's not as weird as it sounds, and it is possible to do that safely. But, you know, in B.C., they had a family gathering of 30 people. Uh, outdoors and indoors and 15 of them got infected and so we want to avoid those kinds of outbreaks
0: and you know next week will be uh, you know a better indication too after some of the protests and rallies in our city and then opening up things a little more we might see when we talk to you next week if if there's been any kind of bump in the numbers but you know this chalk circle pilot project that's kicking off as well this weekend in the city it it worked well in toronto it's worked well in american cities do you think this is a good plan
2: Yeah, it's just a little reminder. So in four of our more popular parks, um, the staff have made these kind of chalk circles to remind people, you know, keep your cohort within this circle and keep the next cohort within the other circle. Now, you know, this is not a a big mandatory thing. And if kids are running between the two, nothing bad is going to happen. But um, it is just a good reminder for people that we're not back to normal.
1: Can't let you go without bringing this one up here. Another texter here. <laughs> Sorry, Mayor. Uh, <laughs> man alive. I think we've got it on our special page here because we knew that we'd have to ask you. It comes in. Or do we have it here, Sue? Now I'm having a hard time. It's on me?
0: the uh, here. It's this one. So okay. we had somebody asking, and you know this is going to be a topic. It's the hottest thing other than pandemic. It's the green line. Do yeah. you? There's lots of discussion going on. This texter wanted to know, do you think it should go ahead? Is there any risk of it getting canceled or is the approval a go-ahead, but maybe just needs to still be readjusted again and again and again?
2: Um, I don't think there's really any risk of it being cancelled. Council has approved it. If council wanted to cancel it, it would require a supermajority of council to do that. And it would mean giving $3 billion back to the federal and provincial governments. It's the biggest infusion we've ever had from those governments. If you are concerned about transfer price, uh, transfer payments, uh, here's a way to get a lot of money back. I don't think there's any risk it will be cancelled. There is some discussion about whether we should change the alignment. I don't believe we should, and I will tell you now that if Council decides not to build the bridge over the river in the first phase, then I would tell you that the north part of the city, north central part of the city will never get LRT. So I'm in favor of the alignment that's before us now. And I hope the council will be because ultimately it's very prudent. We're building the expensive parts first so that our regular smaller bits of transit funding will allow us to keep building out uh, into the future. And yes, it's the right time to do it. Interest rates are low. Unemployment is high. Uh, People have been waiting for decades. Uh, And we should be able to get good pricing on it. And we believe it will create something like 20,000 person years of jobs. And those are desperately needed right now.
0: Thank you, Mayor. I always love chatting with you. Happy Friday and have a great weekend.
2: Thank you. Great weekend, everybody.
1: Wash your hands. 608 on the morning news. BLM protests are happening around the world. And for children. This type of activity can be confusing. Parenting expert Allison Schaefer joins us this morning to explain how you can talk to your kids about the recent waves of violent unrest happening in the U.S. Good morning, Allison.
3: Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Sue.
1: Well, I guess there's, there's two parts to this because a rally or a demonstration, we have to explain the reasoning behind that. Uh, to our children but then the other element when we see people smashing windows and the violent aspect uh, that is is a different animal altogether isn't it
3: absolutely absolutely that uh, when we're talking to kids about events that are happening in the news parents really have a responsibility to make sure that their kids are interpreting the events in an accurate way because kids are very good observers, but they're not very good at making good conclusions about what they're seeing. So we do need to check in with them and and ask them the question, the curiosity question. What have you seen? What have you heard? Uh, What have you come to understand? So that we first start by getting what their perspective is and then we can fill in the blanks we can check for accuracy we can instill our values but we really need to start by understanding what they've uh, made of the event so far.
0: It's so true Alison because I've got a, a 10 year old and a 13 year old and and both of them have different perspectives on what they've seen so far and what it means to them and we do need to make sure that they're getting it in the right context and the right information but then sometimes I imagine that can turn to other issues, because you also have to explain racism to them at that point,
3: and that's the part where parents get really nervous because it's a complex topic, and they're worried about misspeaking something. And so, in our great intentions of being perfect parents, a lot of parents don't have the conversation at all, yeah. and. That's really a problem because we know that kids as young as two and three are already starting to notice differences in the way people look. And so without our guidance, without us being able to talk about difference and putting it in the perspective of isn't difference beautiful and wonderful and to start to um make sure that our children are not following negative biases that they're developing a positive self-identity mm-hmm. for whatever their color and race are that those are conversations that that have to be had so even if just take a stab at it, is you know I want parents to, to feel courageous enough that any conversation is probably going to go better than they think
1: and i guess the other part once you've explained and had a conversation versus just plunking them down in front of media is deciding how much they consume when it comes to news that's not of the most happy nature or, or might be hard for them to understand
3: very true and and I think that's with so much of what happens with social media and the 24/ 7 news cycle now which is you can really go down a rabbit hole and become a, a, con, a sort of an all-consuming worry and anxiety that which is not really helpful that one of the things we want to uh, help them is get accurate information from prop appropriate sources to pay attention to your own affect are you getting anxious are you getting angry um is this stirring up conflicts in your friendships because there was a lot of um, you know the, the twitter feed was terrible my, both my kids logged off but instead to say you know protesting is about having a voice and it's okay to be angry and to see that things are wrong in the world but we, we want to turn that to positive action and so let's talk about not just being the passive observer, but actually participating in making the world a more democratic, socially uh, equal place through, through whatever means that whatever age of your child is, everyone can participate. Everyone has an obligation to do their part.
0: Mm-hmm. And doing it respectfully and following the law at the same time, right?
3: Absolutely. And yeah. I think that's why we have to have the conversation about what happens with the protesters, uh, the difference between a protest and a riot. And, um, I, you know, I have uh, a a fellow family counsellor who actually lives in Minnesota, or in Minneapolis, excuse me, and um, she and I were emailing back and forth about what was happening there. Um, And the infiltration of people from out of state that were actually agitators um, making matters worse by making it look as if this was an out of control riot by uh, African-Americans when really these were much more the extremists, as we know. Um, And so, again, kids wouldn't know that if all they saw was images on the screen. So I think it's important that we get that the accuracy of information to
1: them. What do you say you mentioned, you know, some of the even the young kids explaining racism to them, uh, but to the teens, young teens and the tweens who uh, on our side of the border, we've had some rallies and demonstrations who want to take part. I know in my house. A 13- and 15-year-old said, hey, you know, Dad, we want to go downtown and take part in these rallies. And that's something that I wasn't comfortable with, and it's a different world because of of COVID-19, didn't want to be in the large crowds. Uh, But how do you explain to them uh, what a rally is and and how they would be staying safe, and, and, and should we go with them if they want to go to a daytime rally?
3: so everyone needs to practice the social distancing um, requirements of their province and their area as things are starting to open up that's going to be different in different locations so if, if and we also have to check with the comfort of of our own um, sense of anxiety people mm-hmm. have um not, not everybody is comfortable, even though things have opened up. So I think it's a personal decision. But I do think participating um, in group events is good for our youth. Um, and But it's not the only way to take action. I think that's also important. That part of, uh, and again, I'm talking from the white perspective here, but part of it is also to, to realize that, we may feel like we aren't racist, but if we're white and we're not doing anything to make matters better, we're still sort of participating in white supremacy in our culture. So the quest to learn has been asked of us now. And so I would say let's, uh, let's read some literature, let's read some books, let's, let's um, uh, make some donations to different campaigns. So, yes, it's great to be on foot and to feel that sense of uh, um, alliance but it's not the only way at this time that people can m- have an impact.
0: Allison, you've talked about learning and re- researching and that. Are there some websites that you might suggest for parents out here in Canada specifically, but really to learn what's going on around the world and in the U.S.? Are there, are there things that, or places we can go online to help us and to teach our kids? There's, there's. of course, you're putting me on the spot. And I don't you
3: think I can think of one right now? <laughs> of course I just not. Put out, but in my newsletter, I just put out my monthly newsletter and I put links to all kinds oh, of, like, bookstores that have specific things. Um, so they can find resources on my on my website. But it's a really uh, easy a, a Google search for that. And, uh, you know, if you've got younger kids, boy, you know, Sesame Street just did a wonderful uh, piece with Elmo. Uh, and, again, that's, like, in, in very you know um child-friendly way but Mm -hmm. for sure your 13 year old doesn't care what Elmo has to say so we have to make sure that that the literature or the books that we're putting forward in front of our kids are engaging to to them their social context the you know what's happening in their world and again depending on what race and ethnicity and how they've experienced racism in their own life you might want to go in a different direction or or pull a different resource
1: good stuff and uh, timely we appreciate it because I think as parents we need all the help we can get. You're, yeah, point. you're
0: not kidding. Uh, thank, yeah. you, so,
1: thank you so much for joining us this morning, Allison. My pleasure. That is Allison Schaefer, a parenting expert.
0: And her website is allisonschafer.com. It's A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-C-H-A-F-E-R. So allisonschafer.com. You can find lots of uh, lots of uh, different resources there that will help you and probably your kids too.
1: We kicked the show off talking about being comfortable. and. Uh, I certainly uh, have an issue going to a 4,500-person protest at this point, but I like what she said. There's other things we can do. Absolutely, and yeah. particularly when you talk about your kids, bringing them to something that big. Um, you know, I'm, I have uh, some trepidation to that at this point, so do what you can. It is the morning news on 770 CHQR. Social isolation was a problem in society even before the pandemic. That's a according to a columnist on folio.ca. And the same columnist says that it could be part of the solution if we use it to its full potential to break down these barriers of isolation. We're joined uh, by a professor of sociology at the University of Alberta's Augustana campus, Garrett Osborne. Good morning to you, sir.
4: Good morning. Thanks for having me on.
1: Thanks for being here. Now, this is an interesting time because it's uh, one of these things where we've almost changed the way we communicate, changed the way we remain connected uh, with using devices that we had before the pandemic. But I want to back it up uh, to this concept that we were isolated before the pandemic. What is meant by that?
4: Uh, Well, uh, you know, there's been a fair bit uh you know, written on it and researched about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense that our, our modern societies, we have this culture of, of individualism, uh, that uh, separates us. We also um are living in, you know, these big urban places uh that uh, you know, when you think about it, living in cities is um You know, like living alone with others, you know, we're so busy with our lives that we don't have uh, enough time often to connect meaningfully with with other human beings.
0: So do you think this will be sort of a positive thing coming out of the pandemic then? Because we've had to find ways to reach out and, and connect with people while we're unable to connect physically.
4: Yeah, it, it's uh, it's interesting. It's you know one of those silver lining arguments that mm-hmm. we are hearing about. Uh it's making us kind of rethink our uh, our uh relationships with others and the importance uh, of these uh, things. Um, I think people are missing all kinds of social relationships, uh, live music, theater, all these types of things where, you know, festivals, that'll be a big one, of course, this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are beginning to realize how important those things are and that perhaps governments need to invest more money in, in these uh, social activities, social groups, social organizations, volunteer groups, all these types of things.
1: Can it also be a case that some people uh, who have uh, used social media uh, perhaps were using it incorrectly? And not just social media by that, uh, uh, you know, mentioned technology. For example, I might not like texting people, but I might have found out during the pandemic that I like doing the video chats like on a, a Zoom or a FaceTime.
4: Yeah, that, that's interesting. I mean, modern technology is not inherently good or bad. It all comes down to how we actually use it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this pandemic is, again, making us rethink how we use this this technology and, um, you know, thinking creatively of different ways of, of connecting with others. Again, we have to be careful of things like Zoom fatigue and stuff like that. So we do have to mix it up. And I, I think the gradual reopening will, will help us here because we'll be able to at least meet in smaller groups. And as long as we're physically distanced and, and wearing masks and stuff, uh, we'll, we'll still be able to uh, connect socially.
0: I wonder how many people will continue to, you know, do Zoom calls with their friends on the weekend, say, who maybe friends that are out of town they can't necessarily get together with. It's- It's going to be interesting to see how much of this we keep moving forward as we are allowed to gather with people physically.
4: Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. You know, myself uh, just started to uh, Zoom more frequently with my uh, extended family in Ontario and Quebec. You know, I could have been doing that before the pandemic, (laughs) but I wasn't. It kind of. Uh, This has encouraged uh, the use of this technology for some people and and introduced them to it, right? Um, My my parents, right, are are using it, and they never would have thought of that before. Mm
1: -hmm. Within your article, Garen, you mentioned that, you know, loneliness, to a certain extent, we we might think of it as a feeling, just a feeling. uh, But the health benefits of of not being lonely, of having that connection, uh, have been researched, haven't they?
4: Yes, uh, they have been. Re- I mean, this is kind of going beyond my uh, area as a sociologist, but reading some of the, the national surveys, they all demonstrate that uh, people tend to have more physical ailments and mental ailments when they're uh, socially isolated uh, from others. And when you think about it, you know, uh, we evolved as social beings, right, from our hunting and gathering days onwards, we've relied on others um, We communicate with others, we find commonness with others, and we create communities with others that sustain us as individuals and societies. So being with others is really important. Even if you're an introvert, you will need other people in your life. Mm
1: -hmm. So do you see that uh, post-pandemic, they say that, you know, we might... You know, live more so in communities outside of a downtown core because we can indeed work from home. And you uh, alluded to earlier the fact that you know we have our own little bubbles, our own little communities that we uh, and our own homes that we don't leave as much as we should. So, is it going to be difficult? Is this going to be more of an effort uh, than before the pandemic to stay connected? Um.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't know how to handle that question.
1: Well, I, well, what I'm getting at is the densities of downtown cores, for example, where we might get a lot of our socialization, uh, could right. not see the hustle and bustle as much with people deciding to work from home and those offices saying we better have some working from home.
4: Yeah, that could pose problems, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, downtown, uh, Some downtown uh cores are, are already decimated and you know somehow reviving those is going to be very difficult I think what we'll, we'll see though is a balancing out I think people um, will be encouraged perhaps to to work a few days at home and a few days in the office so we might see a gradual return of that community life
0: definitely an interesting conversation we'll be seeing how things unroll for sure thanks for joining us Garrett thanks for having me that is Garrett Osborne. He is a professor of sociology at the University of Alberta's Augustana campus, and it is 9.15 now.
1: You want to stay socially distanced, Sue? Like you're worried that people are going to get too close to you? Mm-hmm. Well, who would have <laughs> thought that the hero to help us with this would be Burger King? <laughs>
0: this is this is quite brilliant, really.
1: They've had the angry whopper in the past with hot peppers. Yeah. They've had different like bacon and cheese versions. Mm-hmm. This one is called the socially distancing whopper.
0: Tell us why. It's a great picture.
1: <laughs> because it has three like whole onions on it.
0: Like literally, mm-hmm. it is. So you've got the the patty, you've got you know the lettuce and the and the tomatoes, and then equal to that is the amount of onion in this <laughs> hamburger. It has, a, and
1: I love onion.
0: Do you like that much
1: onion? I, I think all you would taste. I see a picture of it here. It's in at, uh, at Burger King UK on Twitter that you can find it. So available in the UK right now. I'd be interested to try it, but I don't know. I mean, you would clear a whole room with this one.
0: If you had friends who get too close... This is a good way to keep them at bay during a pandemic.
1: That yeah, could be it. Most and i left like definitely. a good Whopper.
0: You know what? If, uh, you, do you like ice cream as well?
1: Of course it's I do.
0: A, well, hey, for all you vegan, uh, vegans out there that, you know, try to avoid the ice cream kind of thing, Dairy Queen is here for you. They're rolling out vegan Dilly Bars. You know, the Dairy Queen Dilly Bars, mm-hmm. like one of the most popular things on the planet. They're going to have them by July in our city of Calgary. Vegan Dilly Bars, they are made with coconut milk.
1: Oh, see, here's the thing. Like, I'm far, I had ribs for breakfast. uh, Furthest thing from a vegan. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's true. Um,
1: And I have rib sauce on my face. That's why you're laughing at me. Yep. But I I think that this is one area that I never thought of. You think about meat substitutes, but if you're truly a vegan. No milk, no dairy. Your ice cream treats would uh, go the way of the dinosaur pretty quickly. So check that out at Dairy Queen a little later this year. 7.08
0: now and as we look south of the border so much going on lots to talk about let's check in right away with jackson Prosco, washington bureau chief for global news hi jackson good morning happy friday to you boy where do we start i mean let's talk first uh, the ongoing protests the ongoing rallies what's coming up this weekend anything or or, or have things sort of settled down or are, are the rallies continuing in major cities
5: No, things have settled down. The rallies that are taking place are really small and really peaceful. We kind of saw that pivot to peaceful rallies sort of take place in the back half of last week. And then, of course, last weekend, huge rallies right across the country. So uh, it does seem like things have gotten more calm and they've even taken down that extra security fencing that was put up around the White House.
1: Do you think it's because, of course, the charges and the action taken uh, for the officers a involved with with George Floyd's uh, George Floyd's death, but also that the services are are now behind us?
5: Yeah, I think it's also the fact that uh, there is a recognition. I think almost universally that this is going to be one of those moments that actually does bring about change. Uh, You know, you hear the fact that. Democrats and Republicans, for example, are agreeing on the language on Capitol Hill of what police reform legislation might actually look like. Uh, It is almost universal. It's across the board. And I think that's exactly what protesters have been calling for.
0: Jackson, let's talk about a couple of related stories to that. I mean, the black community right now and political leaders calling on the president to change the date of this campaign rally that he has scheduled for Juneteenth in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
6: That's right,
5: and uh, the symbolism of both the location and the date uh, have massively racial overtones. Tulsa, of course, was the site of the, the Tulsa Massacre in 1921, which is one of the worst race massacres in American history. And Juneteenth is a holiday that really commemorates the end of slavery, the emancipation here in the United States. And so to hold a rally in that place on that date is uh, certainly being perceived negatively uh, right across the country. And I think it sort of speaks to uh, either, you you know, we don't know intention, but it's either an insensitivity or a a deliberate move to, to make a point.
1: Well, we got to switch gears and talk coronavirus, too, because it's still obviously uh, capturing headlines as the death toll hovers around that 115,000 mark. And we're hearing more and more about states who are actually seeing an increase in cases that seem to have been leveling off in the past. So do we consider this the second wave?
5: I would say it's not so much the second wave, according to the epidemiologist, as it is a continuation of the first wave. The fact that they never really tamped this down in the first wave means that uh, as things reopen, you are going to see uh, instances and numbers actually start to increase in some, some areas. And we're seeing that in a lot of the southern states, Texas and Florida, for example, uh, Alabama, Arkansas. They're all seeing sort of their highest daily infection rates Uh, through over the course of the pandemic and some places uh, Arizona for example uh, is on the verge of actually running out of ICU beds. 80 percent of them are full and they've told hospitals there to activate their emergency plans.
0: And we're hearing from Dr. Anthony Fauci that you know he says this is his worst nightmare this coronavirus and and warns it's not over yet so obviously he who we don't really see as often as we used to is, is still worried about it.
5: Yeah, I think that's what's so remarkable here. This is clearly ongoing. There are still roughly 20,000 new cases and roughly 1,000 deaths every single day. Uh, This is by no means over. And yet there are many people who are acting as though it is, even as the sort of gradual, tenuous reopening happens across the U.S. The fact that there are no longer White House briefings from the coronavirus task force, the fact that you don't hear from people like Fauci, I think, says a lot. And uh, I think Americans may have been lulled into a bit of complacency or they're just tired of being locked up, understandably, as the weather turns nice here. But either way, uh, this is still a thing that people have to
1: deal with. I want to get some clarification here. We're hearing that President Trump has resumed indoor rallies, but his campaign has implemented a new policy. Attendees cannot sue if they contract uh, the uh, virus at an event. Is, is this true?
5: Yeah, so I'd say this is pretty standard now for doing anything in the U.S. that you are asked to sign a liability waiver or essentially your attendance is equivalent to signing a liability waiver. And I'll tell you just anecdotally, I had to do that to go for a haircut this week. Now the places that open back up in D.C. as well. Uh, so this is the thing. They're basically saying, yeah, you are at risk of contracting it anytime you're in public and you can't hold us responsible if you do.
0: What's happening uh, in terms of uh, Donald Trump as we move towards the election, Jackson, it really is coming up pretty quickly now. But now we hear there are more sort of uh, voices behind the scenes that are are speaking out and, and not very happy, including General Mark Milley, who this week apologized for taking part in Trump's walk to the church for that photo op, saying he shouldn't even have been there.
5: Yeah, Millie of course, is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and he's basically saying that he shouldn't have been there because it was a political stunt, and his role is to remain apolitical. Um, I think, you know, the bottom line is stay tuned, because I think we're in for some very interesting months ahead here uh, in terms of how this campaign is going to play out, especially if Trump's poll numbers continue to decline. He has seen a roughly 10-point decline in his approval rating sort of over the past few weeks here, and I think a lot of it has to do with how he's handled the the national protests and the fact that he hasn't actually really addressed the core issues of race in America that are behind the protests. Mm -hmm. He he sort of preferred to take a heavy-handed approach when the vast majority of American public opinion has shifted in the other direction.
1: Well, you know, as his numbers might be declining, on the increase is Joe Biden's campaign spending, particularly on social media. So you think that the Biden campaign managers are just, you know, saying this is the time to ramp up as it's a crazy time in the U.S.?
5: Yeah, and you're seeing, you know, both candidates start to get back out there and figure out how they're going to navigate coronavirus while holding events and still campaigning. So it's it's sort of a national, natural progression. Uh, you also have to remember that the conventions, which would normally be a big deal, are a little bit different. I mean, Democrats are probably moving to a fully virtual convention, and they know who the nominee is already. Uh, Republicans are now split theirs between two cities. So you don't get that natural sort of momentum uh, over the summer uh, into campaign season. It's a, it's a bit difference with the amount of stuff that's going on right now
0: at what point jackson do we find out who joe biden's running mate might be is that after the campaign or after the uh the nomination is official
5: it's whenever he chooses to announce okay. it and there's been some pressure on him to to announce it now actually to, to build a little more uh momentum ahead of the convention
1: we're wondering because uh, you know on our side of the border uh, obviously we've extended that u.s Canada border restriction uh, for another month, Uh, but even in our province, we have some travel restrictions province to province. Has anything like that been instituted in the U.S.?
5: No, uh, there is no formal restriction whatsoever. Uh, When the epidemic was at its peak in New York, some states were basically forcing people from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut to quarantine. Uh, those measures have lapsed. And other than that, uh, air travel is resuming, actually. like We're seeing a, a fairly large uptick in air travel in this country.
0: And yet uh, a pretty grim view for the economy moving forward. Unemployment is high, and it's not looking great right now.
5: Yeah, uh, you know, there's, there's no way to, to, to put a, a, a nice picture around yeah. this. And, in fact, you saw the stock market lose a, a huge amount yesterday, I think 1,800 points on the Dow, because uh, there is this real concern that uh, things are going to get much worse, and uh, even corporations may start to realize that hey, they can operate with fewer people that they've had to lay off. And there's some expectation that up to 40 percent of the layoffs may actually be long term.
1: I'm wondering, you, you mentioned you know you had to sign a form to get your haircut. Did you have to? Was it required for you to wear a mask? And was the uh, barber shop or the salon uh, uh, staff wearing masks?
5: Yeah, masks for everything. Uh, here in, in Washington, there's a general mask requirement in public, so that's not just exclusive to you know, getting your hair cut. It's uh, to take transit, to uh, go to uh, a patio that's now open at 50% capacity. Really, anywhere where you're going to be around other people and can't maintain social distance, uh, you wear a mask. And that, that included the protests here over the past few weeks as well.
0: Thank you so much for the updates. So many topics to cover. Thanks, Jackson. Always appreciate your time. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. That's Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. 918 on your Friday morning. We know June is the rainiest month in Calgary, so we need to make sure that our house is in ship shape to avoid any flooding. And joining us with some action we can take is Matt Zivinov, General Manager at Reliance, the furnace company. Hi, Matt good morning hey thanks for joining us you know it seems appropriate in june and as we're around the seven-year anniversary of calgary's 2013 floods as well we certainly don't want to ever go back to that but let's talk about things we need to look at around our home that can make sure you know we're taking into account heavy rains and not not it not creating any issues for the house
6: yeah and i mean hopefully we don't see anything like we did seven years ago but uh You're absolutely right. There are, you know, a a few things that homeowners can do to make sure they are prepared in that situation. Um, I would say, you know, to start is some simple things like making sure if we know that there is uh, a a potential flood coming that uh, around the home outside, we secure kind of our outdoor furniture and any small things that we have so they don't uh, potentially float away. Uh, You know, we check our our downspouts and our eavesdrops to make sure that uh, they're You know, nothing's gotten clogged in them uh, during the kind of spring thaw and into the summer and that the water is actually getting away from the home. Uh, A lot of people have kind of foldable downspouts that they should make sure that they are down and that the water is just not coming down at the base of the foundation.
1: This can be uh, also difficult when you're a new homeowner. You don't know your home's history inside out and the home's not going to talk to you. Uh, that, uh, you know, you could have a, a basement that has flooded in the past. So I guess you have to be super vigilant if it's a new home to you.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, inside the home, too, we want to make sure that the, the sun pump is actually working and operable. It's kind of something we, we don't typically look at. There's, you know, it's it's below the floor. There's usually a top on it. Uh, we don't think about it. We don't hear it running normally. Um, there's a few options there, too, so we want to make sure that uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a potential to get a, a battery backup unit, which will operate if there is a power outage. Um, the sump pumps themselves, they typically have a lifespan of seven to eight years. So um, if you don't know the history of your home, that's probably one place you want to start and look mm-hmm. at maybe getting replacement on that or adding a, a battery backup in case the power does go out uh, during that time.
0: Does every house have a sump pump?
6: Not every home does. So some older homes uh, don't have them. It is an option to add one in your home, and it's something that uh, we would always recommend. Um, because if there is a mass amount of water coming down on the, uh, you know, uh, during a rainfall, uh, if you don't have one, there is more potential that you would get flooding in the basement.
1: Let's talk about this speed and how on top of it you have to be if you do get water in your basement. What are the first steps that we should be taking? Uh, well, the first steps,
6: I mean, A, we, we want to make sure that uh, the mechanics that get that water out are working. So your sun pump, usually a flood in the basement, is caused by an inoperable sun pump. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, I mean, you want to limit uh, water getting in. So... You know, doing a visual inspection on the outside of the home, making sure, as I said, those those eavesdrop pipes are, are pushing the water away from the house versus down the side of the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the things you want to do. Um, we do recommend, you know, if you do have water in your basement, we want to make sure people are careful. So, you know, you don't know if appliances could be sitting plugged in in the water. So taking those safety precautions, making sure the power is turned off. And if you're not comfortable with it, you know, immediately uh, contact your insurance company or someone uh, uh, that takes care of that type of situation.
0: And Matt, another point that you had sent us, you know and I can speak to having a flood in my basement and and I had a lot of things in cardboard boxes. Not a good idea. Everything should be in plastic bins. But you talk about, you know, sensitive or important documents. Sometimes we have them in the basement in a file cabinet or whatever and that might not be the best place.
6: Absolutely. You know, I I always tell people you don't want to keep the Picasso downstairs Mm -hmm. on the basement floor. (laughs) Uh, We've all done it. We've all done it. I'm just as guilty as everyone else um, but you know sensitive documents things we want uh, family heirlooms you know we want to make sure if we know that there's a potential for a flood let's get those things up to the higher floors to make sure that they're safe
1: well yeah higher and drier ground for sure thank you uh, so much for your time this morning and we're going to cross our fingers we don't have to use these tips mm-hmm. uh, this <laughs> thanks, thanks so much matt
6: okay have a great day
1: That is matt zivanov general manager of reliance the furnace Company. We are very excited. We've been highlighting what we call community champions on the morning news over the past few weeks. So we've got another week's worth ahead. Mm-hmm. So for more details, obviously, hop online, 770CHQR.ca. That's where you had the opportunity to uh, tell us why a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker has gone above and beyond to help those around them during the pandemic. One of the nominators is Karen, who joins us now on the line. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. Karen Sloan Beitzel. am I saying Beitzel correctly or is it Beitzel? Beitzel. Beitzel. Thank you for taking the time this morning because you wanted to highlight somebody who you think should be a community champion. Tell us who this is and, and why.
7: My next door neighbor, Janet, and uh, she's just been great at managing her own mental health and then helping some, many others in just a creative, very fun way.
0: So, talk to us about that. Tell us what she's done.
7: So she's an extrovert, and she was having a, a really bad morning, apparently, sitting, sitting at her island, and her husband pointed out to her, and you might remember that picture that Hawks caught of four cars in a field or trucks, and the ladies were around the trucks dancing. Yes. yes, yep. Yes. So her husband, Ken, said to her, why can't you do that? You have a bunch of friends who line dance. And she still wasn't quite grasping it, but he went ahead and ordered her a Bluetooth speaker that morning. Mm -hmm. And off they went. She started phoning friends that she'd met through line dancing over the year. The speaker arrived, and they started having small rehearsals, staying, you know, 6, 12, 15 feet apart in the alleys behind the house here. They're paved. And then when they felt they were working as a group, they literally went across the street to the green space and trimmed the grass back nicely. Mm-hmm. They put X's out on the field so the dancers wouldn't get too close to each other and then invited all the neighbors to watch. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, so people pulled up in their cars and then people just sat in their lawn chairs and, and just watched and connected again after you know weeks of not being allowed to see each other, more or less. And then from there, she thought, you know, we should take this to the people who are locked in. And so they, they started visiting extended care and uh,
0: retirement centers. And just doing and it outside the windows there for the folks inside.
7: Yes. And they right. would make a point of doing all four sides of the buildings so that within the facility, mm-hmm. people wouldn't have to be compromised to watch. And... The funniest thing, too, is have a look at your neighborhood retirement center. They're not built with flat land. Oh, yeah. So she says they haven't lost
0: anyone down, down a crevice or onto the roadway yet. Leave it to an extrovert to figure out how you can get people safely together and entertain the troops. Good for her. Thank you so much for nominating her. I really appreciate it, Karen. No problem. Thank you. That is Karen Sloan Beitzel nominating her neighbor, Janet Miller. Janet Miller goes into, uh, you know, our pool of, and it's been a, a huge, wonderful pool of community champions. And one of them is going to win something at the end.
1: They're going to win a $350 gift card to Calgary Co-op delivered directly to their door by the 770 CHQR Community Cruiser powered by Boest Appliance. Not too late to get your nomination in at 770CHQR.ca and go to the Contests tab.